Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We have, um, I'm so excited to have you on because I know you are an encyclopedia on all things pelvis. Mm -hmm. Well, my name is Kristen Sapienza. I am the founder of Fem First Health, and we have a pelvic floor physical therapy brand centered around women's health. And we really help women after get through pregnancy, postpartum, and we also help a lot of women who have pain with sex or endometriosis or any type of um, kind of diseases that there really isn't an answer to or have complex orthopedic conditions where all of this is tied into. That's kind of our our shtick. And also breast cancer things, right? Yes, we also do that too. Cool. Yeah. So when people come to you, when women specifically come to you, what is the typical, I mean, maybe top two or top three issues that you're faced with? Uh, and what is a first session look like? Because I've heard some crazy stories. Um, so, and I'm sure that it's probably slightly uncomfortable, right? Because it's, it's all private area and, or maybe it's not, I don't know. You'll tell us. Um, so tell us. Okay. So probably, um, one of the most common patients we see is, um, a postpartum assessment. So after, um, you've had pressure on your pelvic floor for 40 weeks and then you deliver all of those muscles have undergone a lot of trauma and it affects your whole body. I mean, relaxant has been flowing through. You could have had a C-section, which is a major surgery, which with any major surgery, you should go to physical therapy for, or you could have had a really rough delivery with tearing. And now you may suffer from incontinence or prolapse or pain with sex or a plethora of different orthopedic conditions because now you're breastfeeding and you have low back pain because you're bending to pick up a baby. So a lot of these kind of changes that we can help women with. And I don't think women realize that they can get help for this. I'm about to um, get on my soapbox and say that every woman should get a postpartum assessment by a pelvic floor physical therapist after their six-week appointment with their ob midwife. 100%. I, uh, we spoke about this very briefly, but I had a baby four and a half months ago. I was in the fitness industry for a long time, the last 10 years or so. And thankfully I, um, ha I went through a pre and postnatal certification. So I have a very basic understanding of, you know, diastasis resti and, um, pelvic floor and this type of stuff. I know that probably 90% of the fitness professionals, especially men and women don't have that. And I've seen, uh, I've seen women and this is, this is a lot to see, but I've seen women who are literally the trainer makes them run and I've seen them leaking. And it's like, you really shouldn't, you should be doing things that one are low impact, but two, you should be really targeting those specific muscles because if you're, you're just making it worse, like you should not be put in the impact on that. Um, so I always would do the uh, assessment with their um, their abs at the top 
just to make sure that, you know, they didn't have a separation or if they did, that we were doing breathing exercises, this type of stuff. And I obviously am very minimal of what I know about what's going on. And when I went to the hospital for my checkup after, or my doctor's office, sorry, he never did that. And my OBG never, she never did that either to check to see if I had it. So luckily I knew to check and, you know, I know how to do the little, you know, you lift your head a little bit and check to see but there were a lot of women that I trained who they had had it and they'd been doing all these things with other trainers before me. And I'm like, you shouldn't be doing these exercises. You need to work on closing it and, you know, getting it tighter before you just keep ripping it apart, basically. So it's really so important to go see a specialist um, as exactly as you're saying. Yeah, I mean, 50 to 90% of women um, which is a wide range, suffer from a diastasis recti. Holy cow. And is that just 50-90% um, of all women or specifically after pregnancy? Uh, specifically after pregnancy. That's so interesting. What, can you tell us a little bit about it? Because I have, that you, this is more of a conversation rather than I think a direct question. But when I was pregnant, so that is made up of, um, the linea alba, which is what right. is made up of collagen. And collagen now is a relatively uh, popular supplement to take. Mm -hmm. And I asked my OB when, throughout my pregnancy, can I take collagen? I've been taking it for a, probably a year and a half, two years before I got pregnant. Um, is it safe for me to take it? Can I continue? Will it help with the, my linea alba as my abs separate? Like, and she truly didn't, and nothing against her, but she just didn't have any answer. She didn't, she didn't, her response was, well, you probably, you know your body. I mean, I guess there hasn't been really like research. There actually hasn't been a, a lot of research done on diastasis recti, like in universities. Right. So there's actually many different schools of thought on like how to heal it. Okay. They basically have to take all the knowledge and see what applies per the individual. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't think collagen is contraindicated during pregnancy either. Right. Like and it's the, not going to harm anything. It shouldn't. Um, and I mean, it's that's like another thing. There's a lot of stuff in women's health that hasn't been thoroughly studied. Correct. Yeah, it's a really wild thing because. You know, you, I understand that most women aren't willing to try new things or, um, you know, there's not a lot of women who are willing to test the boundaries when they're pregnant. They have a life inside them. I totally get that. Um, but I did continue taking it. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. I have some patients that could have had a diastasis prior to pregnancy and then it can have more of a degree worsening through the pregnancy than if someone who didn't have it beforehand. So believe it or not, a lot of dancers actually have a diastasis when they're in their career because they're doing like an arabesque all the time or things that just open this area. Ice okay. skater, people who swim. So that can actually get stretched out over time or even someone who does Pilates quite often and several days a week. You could have a diastasis and not even know it. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I had a girl who I was training who she never had a baby. 
um, and she had it. She had a pretty big gap, and she said she's had it forever, like just, and she didn't have any specific sport or anything. Yeah, children. I mean, children can have it. Men with like a protruded. Yeah, that's a real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, or if you've had an abdominal surgery and you have scar tissue, you can also get it because if you think about it, it's a cut in the fascia. Mm-hmm. And you have to think of the Linnea Alba as a piece of saran wrap. Right. So it's very thin, but it's also, you can train it. Right? Okay. So it will adapt to certain things. So it'll adapt to certain movements you do, or it'll adapt to certain ways that you close it. Right. Very interesting. Um, so you do work on that with people and you can fix it essentially. Mm-hmm. Nice. You have to really test and see how many fingers apart it is and how shallow and deep it is. Right. Based off that assessment, that determines what exercises the patient's going to do to help heal it. Cool. Yeah, because I think that that's a, that's a serious thing that women deal with and men. Um, so that's good to know that know where to go and what to ask for. Yeah, if you have to think about from your diaphragm to your pelvic floor is like the pressure system of a soda can, right? So think of like if you have a very wide gap, that's like a hole in your soda can. Not good. So then you don't have this proper support for your your spine, your pelvic floor, and even just your trunk. And if you already have bad posture, then that can lead to like you know, shoulder and neck issues and then hip issues because you don't have the stability there. Yeah. So it's not fixed. Even in my patients who even, if I find it in them, I give them the exercises to do. Good. Um, okay. So you mentioned that, I don't, I don't think it was here, but we, I, sometime when we spoke, you mentioned um, pelvic floor sometimes falls through can oh, you mention, can you go into that a little oh prolapse all right yes prolapse so there's all different types of prolapse so prolapse is can occur when there's been strain on some of the organs so you can get your bladder can prolapse your uterus can prolapse your rectum can prolapse. So your rectum is actually on the bottom of your pelvic floor. And some people during birth will have so much strain that their rectum can come up through. And then the bladder and the uterus are kind of hanging down and then can fall down into the pelvic floor and you'll see it through the vaginal opening. Wow, that's so scary. It sounds, is it, is it painful? Um, for the most part, it's not really painful, but it's uncomfortable. There's heaviness there. And then that creates, you know, you're scared to have sex. You're scared to jump. You're scared to go for long walks. You're scared to pick up your baby. Like, all those different things can happen. I know, um, this is totally side subject, but the same idea. My grandma, who is the youngest person you'll ever meet, she's super active, she was recently telling me many years ago she had a mesh put in and apparently the mesh i don't really know all the logistics of it but apparently it's coming out and she with covid going up because she lives in la she had to um 
she's having an issue having someone check it out and because of the doctors and if it's not not emergency and all this type of stuff. So I guess that the procedures are probably very different now from before. Yeah, it's all based on the degree of the prolapse. So there's four different stages and based off that degree, you determine like, can you just do exercises or do you need surgery? However, I don't think a lot of women also get that checked out either. But if you went to pelvic floor physical therapy, you can avoid having a surgery. Do you think that enough women come? Like, or they don't, not enough women come to pelvic floor therapy? Um, I think a lot of women don't know that they have access to this type of care. I never, um, I don't think I ever heard of it. So I, I, you and I all briefly spoke and I mentioned that I broke my pelvis. Well, I didn't break it. Someone broke it for me. Okay. And I got, basically I got hit by a jet ski. There was a drunk driver. I got hit by a jet ski. I broke my pelvis. This is when I was in my early twenties and I was petrified to have, to get pregnant because you know, your pelvis has to do this and I didn't know. And I have a lot of nerve damage also. So I didn't know what would be the outcome of this, if it would, what would happen. And um, so I, that was when, when I was going to PT for that is when I first learned that there is a physical therapy specifically to this, because I remember my uh, therapist said that she was dealing with a woman who her whole pelvic floor was just ripped out by a wave. Well, apparently she was on a jet ski or something happened and a wave just somehow and she had been doing all sorts of rehabilitation to just create all those muscles and really just, so it was crazy. This was, I lived in DC at the time and it's when I moved here to New York, I started seeing someone else and it's, it's really important because thankfully, even after having what I had for my delivery, the episiotomy, everything is fine. Um, but I did see this show, it's called Sex Explained. It's a series, um, and it said that that's something that sh should have been cut out of practice. Why are doctors still doing that? You mean the episiotomies, or? Um, actually, I see a lot of patients who have episiotomies, and... Oh, you do? So it's a common yeah. practice still? It is a common practice. But is it specifically from all the really old doctors? Not necessarily. Why do I think people it also depends on it? how the, the doctors are trained and what's going on in that situation. I mean, at the end of the day, you can try to, like, everything to be as natural as possible, right? I think that's the goal for most people. Yeah, of course. Um, I think you have to be prepared for anything that's going to happen. 100%. I mean, know that you can get care after that, and we can help heal that scar tissue from the episiotomy. But I have like patients who may, you know, then there's the degree of the episiotomy. And if they cut all the way to the rectum, you could have rectal incontinence. And there's a lot of things that can happen. So ideally you can try everything to make sure that you do have a natural birth. You could do a perineal massage, but you don't know what's gonna happen at that moment. How quickly do they have to get the baby out? 
is the mother in distress? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I see, I saw a lot of patients who gave birth during COVID in the hospital, and it was such a stressful time. And you could tell in their pelvic floors they had a lot more trauma. Yeah, it really was a weird time. I mean, thankfully, every you know, we're safe, the baby's safe. That's all I could ask for, but it's really, it's been a weird time with COVID. I did have a girlfriend who gave birth. She had a prenatal massage. She said she ended up having, I think, two stitches. Okay. And I never heard of this until she told me about it. So can you touch on what that is a little bit? Because... Oh, it's very common to have... um tearing during a vaginal birth so it's just natural tearing of the muscles as they open to get the you know the baby's head out and the rest of its body this is a weird um question but that tissue down there is pretty elastic right like yeah with i mean go ahead (laughs) it's amazing what your body does to deliver and like what it goes through so with my, this is like, with a perineal massage, essentially they're just massaging that tissue to open it up without ripping? Yeah, it's kind of like, think about if you were going to loosen up your quads before you go up for a run. Say you foam rolled your quads, your hamstrings, your calves, right? You can actually start a perineal massage between like 30 to 34 weeks. Is that true? Because I was using an app throughout my entire pregnancy and it said, have your husband or your partner start doing the perineal massage. I showed my OB and she was like, yeah, no, that's nah. I'm actually a huge fan of it. Okay. Because, you know, if you understand the physiology of like the tissues and the muscles, we know this from any other muscle in our body. If it's in more of a relaxed position, it will be able to perform better at the time that it needs to relax and contract. So I am definitely a huge fan. And we actually have resources on our website on how you can do it yourself at home. Oh, good. Okay, so we'll include the link um, here for the website. Um, What else? Keep going, sorry. I teach my patients who um, who are pregnant, I teach them how to do it during one of our visits, too. Oh, very nice. Very interesting. And so those are two types of vaginal births. C-section, you also do recovery stuff for that. Yeah. Um, So about a third of deliveries are C-section. Wow, a lot. Yeah, it's about... um, 32%. I, this is another woman that I know because I know a lot of women. She was telling me she, so anything can happen. Obviously you just have, like when you go into labor, you have to be ready to go with the flow of whatever happens. If you're planning on a vaginal birth and you got to go to a C-section, whatever, save the baby. That's, you know, the goal. Everyone's healthy. She was telling, and she's, um, a very fit runner, um, super in shape, didn't have any complications throughout any of her pregnancies. And the, um, when she went into labor, 
she ended up having to have an emergency C-section on the first one, which then led her, she had to have a C-section on the second and the other kids as well. But um, she was saying that she thought that it might have been because she had, um, I think she said HPV at one point when she was in her younger years. And when they took it out, there was um, maybe some damaged tissue or whatever that was still in the path for where the baby comes, the canal. And it kept blocking the baby from leaving. Is that? Um, I've heard that, but if you do have an active infection from an STD like that or herpes, you should have a C-section actually. Huh. Because well, that's that good can, to know. Yeah, it can be detrimental in passing the virus along to the baby. Very interesting. Uh, and that's new news, so hopefully that's something for someone who's listening. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was something else, but I can't remember what I was going to say. Or you could have a fracture to your pelvis when you're pregnant, and that's another reason. Yeah, I know. Besides my injury, which wasn't even my fault, I know girls who have had fractured pelvises from overrunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see that a lot orthopedically. Unfortunately, it happens a lot more than what you would think. What do you think is something they could do to help prevent that? Like, it's just nutritional things or supplements, minerals? So, um, it tends to be. You have to kind of, like, look at the person as a whole and see, you know, what they're eating. Do, you know, look at their body type, see why might that may have happened to them. But it also can be from, like, overtraining the wrong muscles. A hundred percent. Or having, not being equal. Yeah, and not having enough glute stability to overcome. And then the hamstrings and the adductors overwork, and then they can pull into the into the pubic symphysis or into part, different parts of the bone that can create a stress fracture. And that's something that comes a lot when women are pregnant. Pubic symphysis. I'm tongue-tied yeah. right now. Pubic symphysis dysfunction, yeah. Yes. Um, and it's basically any sort of unilateral movements, and that, um, any suggestions for that, for helpful things besides, I don't know. Um, it's really important to keep your adductors and your hamstrings, um, kind of see if they have any adhesions or tightness, and like with the yoga strap, do some really, Really good, like hamstring stretches, stretches out to the side to get the adductor. Or I like just rolling on like a crossbow and sitting. I think that that's really helpful. Nice. It's, women can get pain there starting at like 20 weeks during their pregnancy. And if they don't get help, the rest of their pregnancy can be really tough. Like you can't go upstairs or you're not able, if you have a toddler at home, you're not able to lift them as well. Yeah, it's tough, especially, you know, when having someone else that you're trying to chase after or all that type of stuff. Yee, it's bad. Yeah, and like women can't put on pants if they have a really bad pubic synthesis dysfunction because when they go onto one leg, they get that intense pain. Yikes. So that's definitely um, something that needs to be fixed. Yes. If you can't put pants on, you definitely need to come into the office and see a pelvic floor physical therapist. I think, yeah, that's a for sure. I think that women, from what I understand, a lot of women feel like that's just a thing. But it can be treated. That's the key takeaway for this 
Mm-hmm. It's sometimes a challenge to get the OBGYNs to refer. Some of them are great. Midwives are amazing. Um, but a lot, I think, think a lot of the times women are told and they they tell me in the assessment, they're like, well, I told my doctor I have this pain. And they said, well, you're pregnant. What do you expect? Yeah, that seems to be the common, which I think is so sad, the common response. Like, thankfully, I had a very smooth pregnancy. And even so, people really looked at me as I, as though I was disabled. Like, and I'm like, I'm not, I promise. I'm probably more capable than you are. Like, no, not, not, it's just, it's wild how there's this impression that this is how it's supposed to be. And there's just so much out there, clearly what you're, you know, trying to share and practice with the world that more women need to know about. Yeah. Um, it's funny. There's some really great doctors who are very good in helping their patients, but I think, you know, in the, the American college of like obstetricians, um, you know, what they teach to like residents and, you know, medical school like they're they don't talk about physical therapy as a way they're very good at like giving you a pap smear and delivering your baby and everyone is safe and healthy as much as possible and they did their job but it's really all these other things that can occur like at that six week appointment sometimes a lot of them are like oh you're just fine and like the new mother is like lying there wait What do you mean I'm fine? (laughs) I have this, and I have this, and I have this, and it's just... I I wonder why. Where does that come from? Why don't they try to pass these, pass the women along? Um, I just think they need to just be a little bit more open. Don't get me wrong, some are great to work with. They're open and communicating, and it's phenomenal, but I think we just need... As pelvic floor physical therapists, we tr- we're trying to, like, change the conversation around it. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, it's such a necessity, especially having gone through a pregnancy and a birth and knowing so many other women who have gone through this also and seeing so many issues. I can't imagine just being stuck, like, leaking or, you know, having issues. And I think one of the barriers, too, is like, okay, at that six-week appointment after you give birth, I mean, for the most part, there are, you know, you haven't really been doing anything for six weeks. You've mostly been homebound. You've been at home with your baby, just focusing on taking care of them and keeping your household somewhat in, in decent shape. But you haven't. You weren't allowed to exercise. You weren't allowed to have sex until this one appointment where they just kind of go in, check, make sure everything's healed. I'm like, okay, you're good to go. And you're like, oh, wait, what What do I do now? Can I go back to, like, doing HIIT four days a week? When I, I went, back, like, when I went in for my appointment, for my checkup with my doctor, the I think it was two weeks. It wasn't six weeks. I didn't see anyone. I went in for the two-week appointment, and I was so, like, over the whole thing because I thought they were so useless. Mm-hmm. And I ended up just... And also COVID, I didn't want to go anywhere that I might contract something. But I still haven't seen my OB. But I also, thankfully, know my body well enough to know that I'm fine. 
But I, I literally walked into my appointment, the two-week checkup. He said, this is the guy who was the delivery doctor. He says, oh, you're, you must be feeling good. Because I walked in, I guess. I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he goes, okay, put this, gives me, give me the smock to put on, put my legs in the stirrup. Literally, this is what happened. He puts his finger in, and that was it. Like, that was it. Did you squeeze around just to test your strength at all? Or? He didn't do anything. This is literally, my feet, my feet were in the stirrup. He goes like this, puts his finger in, pulls his finger out. Okay, you're good. That was it. He didn't check for diastasis. He didn't check for anything. I kid you not, I was in and out besides waiting in the waiting room in maybe two minutes. Because I remember I just wore gym clothes. Like, I, in and out. He did nothing. Yeah. Like, finger in my vagina, finger out, that's it. Yep. It's so insane. That's why everyone should come in for a postpartum assessment to kind of bridge that gap into you returning to your life. Is it typically something that's covered by insurance? How does that work? Maybe um, that's why there's a gap? Technically, um... Well, there's not a ton of pelvic floor physical therapists. Yeah, how did, I was thinking, because I, obviously, because I got, I broke my pelvis, um, so I like to know where I can go and in case, um, but what, how did you get into this field? Um, I got into this field, so I started my practice on the Upper West Side, so I actually do see, over the years, I've seen, like, a ton of moms, and, um, you know, you'd see, like, the common, basic, like, orthopedic injuries, hips, backs, knees. And some women would just have pain for years, and, like, nothing they would do would get them better. They'd be like, oh, I've seen all these different doctors. And that's what made me question more things. And then I started doing a lot of the training for um, pelvic floor physical therapy. And it's actually made me an even better orthopedic therapist. Because now I see things differently and look at things differently. And the typically, so because I'm a new mom and I have met all the mommies in my neighborhood because that stroller, you know, just draws them to you. Mm-hmm. I've heard a couple, um, and it's been multiple and multiple different instances where women come, and it's not to your practice, but women come in or they go into their first appointment because they're having, um, di- they're having some sort of issue like pubicensis or pain after sex or whatever it is and they go in for their first appointment and it's super uncomfortable because no one prepares them that they're going to have a finger stuck up their vagina that feels around what is this could you tell us a little about that so women know kind of what they might be so they're not so thrown off and feel like if this was a man i would definitely feel like i was being taken advantage of but it's a woman so it's probably okay well if they kind of um they have symptoms and they kind of Google their symptoms and they find a pelvic floor therapist. Like, I mean, if you're coming in for incontinence and you're, you know, leaking with activity, picking up your baby, I mean, most likely you'll know. But when I do a postpartum assessment, some of my patients are not aware that I'll be doing an internal exam. And I give them the option to. If they don't feel comfortable, obviously they don't have to do that. And we can look at it orthopedically and I can make suggestions for them. But it's pro- it's better to do internal because how like if 
if my bicep, it, like you have to assess the bicep and like, no, like how else are you going to know if you don't? You know, I guess a lot of the time I do get referrals from midwives and some OBs. And the reason why they're sending them to me is because they have a prolapse or weakness. So they kind of know what to expect. Um, but yeah, we do an internal exam. So pelvic floor. Oh, good. Yeah, show us. You get very hands-on, which is you yeah. need to. So we have the frontier. So this is the vaginal opening. And Bring it up a little bit higher. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So I'll go through the front, but as I put my finger in, there's two sides to check, right? So I have to check on the left side and all on the right side. So sometimes we have to find the driver to why the patient is having symptoms. So with incontinence or pain with sex, you could have an underlying hip issue that could have developed during pregnancy or even before that could be contributing to some of the symptoms that you're having now. Very interesting. So that's why I like to check each side, see how each side functions. So the left side might be weaker than the right side. And then I'll see how everything comes together. But I think there's also this misconception that like everyone has to do kegels after giving birth. And I hope that we can change that language as well. Tell because us. Because a lot of people, yeah, I learned something that that's only half of it. That's not the whole thing. Correct. So, correct. Okay, so teach us. Tell everyone. And you should only do kegels if you need to do kegels, right? If you're leaking and the tissues are in a good shape. I mean, say you um, have a cut to your arm, right? And you had some trauma there. Right, you'd go into like PT or something and we'd like go work in the muscles for a few sessions and then you would start strengthening. It's kind of the same concept here. I mean, if you had trauma or tearing to your tissues, are you going to right away go to like squeezing them as hard as you can? No. So basically sometimes based off that assessment, I'll know if they have a lot of like adhesions and trigger points in their pelvic floor and I'll give them tools on how to loosen that up at home or they're going to come in for sessions to loosen up that tissue. Once that tissue is in a good place and there is no pain, then we can actually start the contractions. And if you think about it, I think most people when they think of a Kegel, they think of like just that vaginal opening. Yeah. You actually have to like get all of these muscles to contract together. So there's a lot of different analogies for that. <laughs> um, but I kind of I think my favorite one, you know, when you were a kid and you went to an arcade and you had that claw that picked up the stuffed animal. I would love if everyone used your pelvic floor that way instead of just thinking of like clenching the front of it. Right. At the opening. Yeah, that the one that I learned from the course I took was think of a tissue. Uh -huh. Like your, you know, all corners of a tissue because there's... Yeah. yeah, that's like another way of thinking it. But that makes sense based off like, wait, all of this, all of these muscles are. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, people, this sounds weird, but I think that women, people, women, they don't ever look down there or they never actually saw a diet. Like they don't research a diagram, like to see what's going on. So you, it's, you know, cause it's, I don't know if it's normal for women to look down there. I had to after my delivery because I needed to see what I was cleaning and what's going on. So I think that most women probably, do, I don't know. Is that a common thing? I think a lot of women aren't in touch with their reproductive organs that much either. And looking at it, um, I think we have a lot of like stigma in our society along with that. But I'm not afraid to like ask a patient, like, you know, one of the first visits, like, do you masturbate? You know, do you have pain with masturbation? Um, some women do. Oh, that's sad. They have no feeling there, but they're probably very scared to talk about it. Well, so then that leads to something that I'm supposed to ask a friend from a friend (laughs) for if your pelvic floor muscle, the stronger your pelvic floor muscles are, does that mean you could have have better orgasms or Uh, not? No, because, well, the stronger that they are, they could be strong, but they may not relax properly. Right, because ha- you have to be able to contract and for both. Think about what happens when, like, you orgasm. Like, you feel the muscles pulsate and they contract and relax. Some people are so tight, they can't actually relax those muscles. Well, and that's the other problem with orgasms. I think that so many in TV and, you know, movies and whatever, it's portrayed as so just poof. So, and a lot of women don't, I think a lot of women never even have them or don't know exactly what it is, which is crazy. It goes back to them not being very familiar with their body. Yeah. And on TV, they're also acting too. Yeah. And it's, it, it happened just so fast, but it's, that's not really the way, I mean. No, women, uh, it takes a little time for women to, um, warm up, get warm up and <laughs> for that to happen. Well, and any men that are watching, this is helpful for you to know that it doesn't, it's, it's not, it's not just poof, you turn the car on. It's, you know, you got to warm up and mm-hmm. get the muscles. It's a muscle, like. And it's also like important to have that open communication with your partner too. Um, to assess what your needs are and kind of there's different strategies and there's different ways to create pleasure but it should be pretty equal and I think that that's something a lot of couples may not talk about especially postpartum uh-huh. yeah because it's a whole new and no one talks about sex postpartum like yes. that you got a whole new vagina basically unless you got so, a c-section it's all yeah. different so 40 to 60 percent of women postpartum have pain with sex for at least six months wow and it just, I wonder, it just goes away or they end up getting help? You know what? Some people are unicorns and it's like never an issue. They don't postpartum. They never have anything that's wrong with them. But for a lot of people, time will be helpful, you know? The problem is there's some other things going on. If you're breastfeeding, you still have that relaxant flowing through. Yeah. And that also create dryness. Oh, I never heard that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's good to know. 
And right after you gave birth, like, your estrogen just drops. So, like, your hormones are, are changing during that time. Plus, you could have trauma or, you know, the tearing or an episiotomy is scar tissue, right? And that scar tissue can create pain, especially if it's rubbed on. Right. And then there's also, like, you're also taking care of a newborn and you may not be sleeping and there's probably a lack of, you know, lack of interest. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And plus, a lot of um, women who just gave birth may not feel that great about their bodies. I That's something, that's the most common thing that I hear. Or I've heard women who actually ask their doctors to tell, to reach out and tell the husband, I'm suggesting not to have sex for 12 weeks or 16, like some big period of time because the woman just, I mean, your mind is not on your husband or your partner. Your mind is on this new life that you just brought into the world. So you're yeah. not thinking about it. And it's the last thing you want to think about. And a lot of people like maybe not have partaken in a lot of sex during pregnancy either. Well, and that's also, well, this is a whole nother topic that you are obviously a professional about that a lot of men, and I went through this with my, with, with us are afraid to, um, have sex during pregnancy because they think they're going to poke the baby. Sorry, buddy. That's not going to happen. Right. And I hear that a lot, like a lot of women say that they're in, but at the end of the pregnancy, especially it's really good because it helps induce. Can you tell us a little about that? Because this is something that I didn't, I've never, I had to, I researched, I didn't see anything. I asked my OB, she was like, all of her other answers, yeah. So tell us about this. You mean using sex to induce? That and how it is safe or better to have sex during pregnancy. I mean, it is safe to have pregnant, you know, as long as it's advised by your doctor, it is safe to have um, sex during pregnancy. If you had um, a condition like placenta previa, maybe the first 12 weeks of your pregnancy, that's not advised. To, what is that? Um, it's the placenta hasn't attached properly. Hmm. And so, especially in the first trimester where things are still... Yeah, you may be advised not to. Plus, like, think about all the women that come in that are pregnant and in so much pain. They have low back pain, they can barely walk. I mean, you're definitely probably not going to have sex when you're pregnant. Yeah. So then, say you're not really having sex during pregnancy, and then postpartum, it's like the last thing you Even worse. So it's just like, and then there can just be a buildup, and then it's a strain on your relationship, and that's where the communication with your partner comes in, and... Essential. Yes. Very interesting. Do you ever have men that come in for any, like, prolapsing or anything like this? Um, we have treated, um, men in the past, um... So there's men have a lot of issues. They can have um, they can have some leaking issues. They can have pelvic pain. They can have erectile dysfunction. I mean, they have a pelvic floor too. 
just, you know. See, and I think that people, that sounds so weird to think, to say a man has a pelvic floor. Like, yeah, duh, but they have a pelvis. So clearly they have a pelvic floor, but people don't think like that. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, they have lots of like nerves and tissues that can have adhesions. They may have a hip issue that's creating like, you know, affecting your erectile dysfunction, or there could be like men who cycle and they may get like pedendal neuralgia or like, um, especially if that like bike seat is like right on that nerve, you can have a lot of different issues with that. And that's, and that's pretty common. What? Is that pretty common? Not very common, but oh, it can. And the same thing can happen to women. Well, I've heard that uh, some serious cyclists typically have nerve damage or nerve issues from that. Yeah, and you could also have like a spinal issue that can also create like issues in your pelvic floor too. Well, it's, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I have one more question that was a submitted question. Okay. And I think you will have an answer to this. What could you tell us about squirting? Squirting. <laughs> okay. um, because that's all that, all pelvic floor. Or no, I don't know. Uh, actually, can I talk more about queefing postpartum? Yeah, you could, whatever, tell whatever, whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> okay. So, um, that's like a big, issue that patients come in with after having a baby or patients who haven't had a baby but have pain with sex also um, have queefing issues. It's kind of a topic I'd like to address because no one's really going yeah, to talk about it. Yeah, I want to talk about all the things that people, that's why I asked that other thing because one of my friends is like, well, do you know? And I'm like, I don't know anything about squirting, so let me ask the professional. Well, so queefing, tell us about queefing. I'll talk about queefing because I really don't address squirting too much in my practice. Okay. Um, but queefing is something I get a lot. I mean, you've probably had clients that like who have been in a bridge pose or done some yoga and they've reported that and they're yeah. like. They don't even report it. They just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And but I look the other way. probably like plagues them inside. You know, as soon as it happens, they're like, oh my God. So, obviously these tissues on the inside are meant to be circular through here. But what happens with like certain habits or trauma, like especially after pregnancy and delivery, those tissues can get tight on that side. And then they can't contract and relax properly, and then that's how you can have queefing. So that's how the air can come in and out because those muscles couldn't relax, and that air's just like coming, you know. Yeah, it's going to a certain position, and then. And so when people come in, you address that. Mm -hmm. And how long does it typically take to uh, resolve that issue? It depends on the reason why it's happening. Do some women have control of it? I used to work with a girl who she said it was her party favor. 
sweat. <laughs> yep. She said that that was, she, she could do it on cue, on command. And I know she could because I heard it. Um, I mean, I haven't had a patient come in. That just like, means she had a lot of control then, I guess. Yeah, she could have a lot of control. Um, she was a dancer. So maybe yeah, that played a part? I don't know. It could be. It's funny, a lot of dancers have a lot of um, pelvic floor tightness and can suffer from queefing. Huh. Especially a lot of um, LA dancers. Because if one of their hips is not functioning quite right. If they're um, just unbalanced, then... Yeah, if there's like an imbalance in musculature and like you can have a hip labrum tear develop, that can actually have a floor. I mean, look right in here. So here's where like the hip would be, right? So when I go in and I'm assessing those muscles, here's all your like deep external rotators of the hip that I can assess. So if your hip's not functioning properly, all of these muscles, because everything's connected through all the fascia, can get affected in here. Hmm. Are there any, um, I guess, stretches or anything, like do you have on your blog or whatever you have on your website, you could share if you have anything that you could direct um, the viewers to see, a, like a little stretch or a flow or something that could help with that? Or is that... Um, technically, you kind of have to come... You have to be assessed. assessed. Just to know, like, it may just be something tissue-wise you need to work on or specific muscle to strengthen. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's really, there's just so much, so many intricacies down there mm -hmm. that anything that goes wrong or doesn't feel normal, it really needs to be checked out because it could lead from one thing to another. Yeah, it's kind of like the diastasis, right? If you don't have, like, if you have a hole in your soda can, you're going to have problems everywhere. Yeah. So tell us uh, where we can find you and okay. um, your social media, your website, all this good stuff because, I mean, we're on the Upper West Side, but um, you, I mean, tell us, and then I'll send click, uh, click through links. So we have um, two practices, one on the Upper West Side and one by Grand Central. And we have a sister practice in um, Brooklyn that's a specifically postpartum and pregnancy practice of all public floor physical therapists. And um, you can reach us through our website, which is um, femfirsthealth.com. And that's just F-E-M, First Health. Um, and our Instagram is them first help underscore pt cool i'll include um click through links and um then they can see where to find you because i think that what you are offering is crucial uh not only for pre and postnatal but for women in general if, and men but um specifically women when there's issues these these are things that need to be addressed as we just said because it can lead from one thing to another real quick. And um, truly how you how you feel will be portrayed in all the energy and everything that else you give off, right? You wanna feel good, you wanna look good, you wanna 
you're carrying a baby around, you're chasing a toddler, you're doing this, you're doing that, and you want to be capable and not feel like you can't carry your groceries home or whatever you have to do. Yeah. I also think my one takeaway is, too, if um, you had a baby and you're ready to conceive again, make sure you have a postpartum assessment before you do that. Because it's hard to take care of a toddler while you're pregnant. I can't imagine. I'm not there yet. I have a dog and a little baby, and the dog is more work than she is, so. So, that's something I think, uh, that's another thing that gets me on the soapbox, is that women should really, I think in New York it's a, a really a bit of a funny place where we might be a little bit older, and we live in, like, very small apartments and we're twisting and turning our bodies and time the clock could be ticking so you're trying to have another baby right away but it's really important to make sure that you heal everything before you conceive again speaking like touching on that little that what you were just saying before we finish um do you see a big discrepancy from women in their healing when they're younger versus women when they're healing and they're older at like postpartum or is it mostly just how they take care of themselves what do you do you see anything specific in that you know you could be younger and still have a ton of trauma during your delivery and that can create issues um or you could be older and everything looks perfect and feels fine so i can't really say it's kind of like specific just case by case what just case by case yeah definitely case by case you just don't know what to expect. It's kind of the same thing. You can prep to have like the most natural delivery and you don't know what's going to happen within like 24 hours of that. I had a friend who had a midwife home birth and she had a labia tear. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I just, it's like the wildest thing, right? Like, would you rather be, t- would you rather tear? Would you rather be cut? Like, you just, you don't know what's going to happen and you just kind of really have to be ready to roll with whatever comes your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, you don't know what's going to happen at that moment. I mean, tearing is common in a natural delivery, so it will heal and you have the tools just like if you had tearing anywhere else in your muscles. Mm-hmm. There's tools to fix it. Hold on, I actually have one last question. I just thought of this. Why is it that if you have a C-section, you have to continue having them? You don't have to continue Oh, that. okay, so this is a big, big myth, because I've heard multiple times, if you have a C-section for your, like, first kid, and then second kid comes along, you have to have another C-section. Not true. No, you can have a V-back. So, um, it all depends on your doctor. Okay. If your doctor feels comfortable, I have a lot of patients who had a C-section the first time with their OB, and then they switched to a midwife for their second child. Very good to know, because I think that's something that I've heard numerous times. We're under the, for whatever reason, under the perception that you, once you have a C-section, you have to keep having them. Not true. No, I mean, some people, there might be like some special case where like, do have to have another C-section, like say, you know, something happened the first time, they may want you to have, continue to have C-sections, but no, it's, you can have, you can have a 
vaginal delivery after a C-section. Good to know. Um, I love midwives. They are amazing. And so, so you could recommend some, probably. Yes, I love Central Park Midwifery. They're on the Upper West Side. I'm more than half. I was thinking to have one before, like, because I had my little one in the midst of this COVID. So I was thinking I wanted to avoid going to the hospital and I was going to have one. And then I just got wrapped up in everything. So I wasn't able to, but I do think that I'm going to try to have one for my next. Yeah. And there's some that also practice in the hospital. Oh. So you can have, you can be at the hospital during your birth, but try and go as natural as possible. But like, if there's something that happens last minute, you're already in the hospital. And um, then there's like home birth midwives. That's very, very good to know because I'm, I learned so much throughout my pregnancy and into my labor and delivery and postpartum. Mm -hmm. So much I had no idea. And then even now I'm like, oh, I had no idea. Good to know. Because for whatever reason, this is just stuff that people don't talk about. I know. know Especially the postpartum stuff. The postpartum stuff, like, basically people don't really know unless they talk to their friends or they read books on it or you have to be your own advocate. Yeah, truly. Well, thank you for your time, doctor. And I'm happy that you are offering a place for people to go to hopefully, you know, get fixed and have their questions answered. Um, it's so helpful to know that you're there, that you can provide the assistance because a lot of people have no idea. Of course. And we do free phone consults for anyone. So just contact us through our website. If you have any questions, we're happy to talk to you. Wonderful. That's that's what our world needs right now. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for your time and um, be well, stay well. All right. You too. Thanks.